Father, as we sing these uh, hymns of the faith, these, these old songs that just stick with us and continue to feed our hearts and give expression to our hearts, we pray that they would not be merely repeated words or empty cliches. Would you help us to continue to be amazed at the mercy and grace you have shown us in Jesus Christ? Help us to never get over that. Help us to never assume that. Help us to, to stand in awe of you for who you are and all that you've done. And as you continue your process of working in our hearts and shaping us to be more like Christ and working in our our church family to make us more like Christ together as we serve together in this place, we pray that you would even now give us hearts and ears and minds that are attentive to your word and responsive as we surrender in humble obedience to what you call us to today. Guide us through your word, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, it could be uh, your living room or the locker room. It could be the lunch room or the board room. It could be the classroom, the waiting room, you name it. It could even be this room. Wherever you are, you make a difference. You make an impact by your presence or by your absence. Uh, When people come home from vacation here, I often tell them, oh, it's not the same without you. I'm glad you had a break, but it's good to see you, right? It's good when we're all together. You make a difference by your presence and by your absence. Now, some of you might say, whoa, Steve, I am a quiet, behind-the-scenes kind of person. I don't really make an impact at all. I I just kind of do my thing. And never mistake big personality for big impact. A lot can be hidden behind a big personality. Never, never mistake big personality for big impact. We all make an impact. We all make a difference. You believe that? We do. Now, the question is, is that difference positive or negative? <laughs> uh, maybe your, your presence could be a very positive thing. It could also be a negative thing, making your absence a little more positive, or at least feel like it in the immediate, right? What's the difference? What makes the difference between whether your presence is a positive or negative impact on those around you gathered wherever you are with whomever you happen to be? Well, I would suggest that as a follower of Jesus, the difference, the determining factor in whether you are making a positive or negative impact is the presence and work of the Holy Spirit in your life, in and through your heart and your life as we go along. We make an impact It's the Spirit of God that makes the difference. He's at the root of everything. Amen? And remember, we talked a couple of weeks ago that A.W. Tozer once said that if if the Holy Spirit were removed today from the church in North America, 95% of what we do would carry on and no one would know the difference. But if the church, if this early church in the book of Acts in the first century had the Holy Spirit removed, 95% of what they did would immediately stop and everybody would wonder what happened. Big difference, isn't it? And so we've been studying during these summer months the person and work of the Holy Spirit. And we've seen that the evidence of His presence is shown in a number of ways. One is in His fruit that He produces in the heart and life of the believer. If the Spirit is present in that work, He brings what He brings because He is who He is. And He produces what He produces because He is what He is And if Christ-like character, the fruit of the Spirit, is not growing in the heart of someone who claims to be a follower of Jesus, we've got questions to ask. 
That is the, the evidence of his presence in someone's life. The fruit of the Spirit as he changes our character, which is on display in how we interact with each other. That's Galatians 5. We then looked at the way we serve. Remember, he has given us gifts that we might serve one another and serve with one another in the body of Christ in the local church. And those gifts, 1 Corinthians chapter 13, verse 7, uh, chapter 12, rather, verse 7, tells us that that gift is given as a manifestation of the presence of the Spirit of God. It's a demonstration that he's here when we lovingly and humbly, lovingly serve with each other and serve one another. It is for the common good. It's not for my own good. It's for the common good as we serve one another in the body. We pitch in together to serve the Lord and to serve each other. But even that act is a demonstration of the presence of the Holy Spirit. We saw a couple of weeks ago in Acts chapter 4 that where the Spirit of the Lord is, lives are changed. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, God gets the glory. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is gospel courage. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, there is prayer and there is power for life and for ministry as we walk with Him. Well, this morning we want to finish that message we started two weeks ago in Acts chapter 4 by picking up where we left off in Acts chapter 4 and finding out four more things that take place that are evident when the Spirit of God is there as we look at Acts chapter 4 and 5 this morning. So turn with me, if you will, to Acts chapter 4, verse 32. Acts chapter 4, beginning in verse 32. Now, just by way of setting the scene for us, remember what happened. In Acts chapter 3, the apostles were going to the temple for worship at the time of prayer, and as they went, there was a man there in his 40s who had been lame since birth, and he was there parked at the gate on the way into the temple, begging of people who would come in for worship, begging so that he could make a living. The apostles came and they healed him in the name of Jesus. Everybody knew it because this man was a fixture there and they saw him get up instantly healed. And as the apostles continued to preach to this gathering crowd, they were preaching the gospel of Jesus Christ and the gospel must be heavy on the resurrection of Jesus. So often we talk about the fact that Jesus died for our sins. Yes, he did. But without the resurrection, we have a completely incomplete gospel. The resurrection is always part of the gospel message. And so as they preached this, the spiritual powers that be, the leaders at that day, the, the high priest and the leaders of the Sanhedrin, they were primarily Sadducees who do not believe in a resurrection for Jesus or for us. And so they came to shut these guys down. They brought them in. They, they told them they were never to preach or to do anything again in the name of Jesus. And then they threatened them with what they would do to them if they carried on and they turned them loose. So the apostles got together and as a group of followers of Jesus, they gathered together and what did they do? Give up? No. They went to prayer. And they called out to God and they said, God, we understand that you are in control of all things. And we've just been threatened by these same men who had Jesus killed. And we know that that was your plan. And we don't know what your plan is for us if your plan includes us to be killed at their hands too. We don't know. But we know we've been threatened. And we know we've been threatened by people that follow through on what they're talking about. And so we're pretty nervous here. And we're scared. And we need you by your spirit to give us power and courage and boldness to just carry on doing what you've put us here to do. Would you keep doing what you're doing and empower us to keep doing 
what we're called to do. And in verse 31 of Acts chapter 4, we read this. And when they had prayed, the place in which they were gathered together was shaken. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and continued to speak the word of God with boldness. God answered their prayer and out they went. And ministry carried on as the gospel was proclaimed and people were taught and discipled and and learned and grew. And the church grew and the church flourished. Under the shadow of the temple, with those threats hanging over them, the church grew and flourished in those days. Exciting days, wouldn't you say? Things were happening. Things were happening. We'll pick this up in verse 32. Now the full number of those who believed were of one heart and soul. And no one said that any of the things that belonged to him was his own, but they had everything in common. And with great power, the apostles were giving their testimony to the resurrection of the Lord Jesus, and great grace was on them all. For there was, not a need, there was not a needy person among them, for as many as were owners of lands or houses sold them and brought the proceeds of what was sold and laid it at the apostles' feet. And it was distributed to each as any had need. Thus Joseph, who is also called by the apostles Barnabas, which means son of encouragement, a Levite, a native of Cyprus, sold a field that belonged to him and brought the money and laid it at the apostles' feet. First thing I want you to see this morning from Acts chapter 4 and 5, as we pick up this theme and continue through to answer this question, what happens where the Spirit of the Lord is? Well, where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's people walk in unity. Here they are, we're told that the full number of those who believed were with one heart and one soul. They were connected, they were joined together. They were connected and joined together in the unity of purpose and what they were there to do as they worshipped and loved each other and reached out with the gospel. They were there in unity of purpose and unity in process as they continued to simply look after each other and share the good news. They were connected because their identity was in Jesus Christ. Not in their past, not in their personalities, not in their preferences. Their identity was in Jesus Christ. And they said, because we are now in Christ, we are followers of Christ, we are members of His body, we're all in this together, we're connected. We don't just belong with each other, we belong to each other. And God is not working throughout human history to gather a group of individuals for his name. He is working consistently, beginning to end, for a people for his name. A unified, united group together, carrying his name before the nations. And so what what were they doing? They were living with one heart and one soul. They loved each other. They were connected with each other. They loved each other and cared for each other so much that they looked after each other and met each other's needs. They gave sacrificially and selflessly to one another to care for each other so that no one would go without. They carried on with the message of the gospel and the apostles continued, even with that threat hanging over them, the apostles continued to give their testimony to what? The resurrection of Jesus. Jesus is, in fact, the Son of God. You crucified him, but that was in God's plan. And in dying, he paid for your sin, but he rose again, and he is the author of life, and he is the giver of life eternal, and he is Lord of all, and he must be followed. And they continued to preach the gospel, and things were happening. And then Luke, as he records these events for us, he gives us an example of of the extent of their heart and their love and their care for one another. And he gives us the specifics, a specific example of that. He said as many people had lands and and owned things and owned property, they would sell those off and they would bring the money and they would give it to the apostles and say, here, meet the needs of whoever has a need. 
And they were all caring for each other. And it wasn't that they were holding necessarily these individual fundraisers. It was just an act of love that was just, I have this, I can contribute and meet the needs. Who has a need? I'll bring this and let's work together for the good of the gospel and the glory of God as we meet one another's needs. And that's what was going on. Now that was going on, we're told here, a number of people were doing that. Well, why did Luke zero in and give us one instance and, and show us about this man, Joseph? I believe he gave us this specific because we're going to meet him again later in the book of Acts. His name, called by the apostles, is what? Barnabas, son of encouragement. What nickname do people give you? What nickname do people give you when you're not in a room? <laughs> Barnabas, son of encouragement. And they knew who they were talking about. It was Joseph. Well, later... You're going to meet up. If you keep reading through the book of Acts, you're going to meet up with Barnabas, and he's going to go out with Paul. And they're going to team up for ministry together. And so I think Luke is introducing us here to Barnabas that we might get a glimpse at his character and his heart before we meet him in terms of a ministry partner for Paul. And so what are we told? We're told he's a Cypriot Jew. We're told that he's there in Jerusalem. His family owns property. He sells a piece of property and he brings the full amount and he gives it to the apostles for, for use, however was needed, to meet the needs of the, the people gathered there. And just a, another detail here to note, out of interest's sake, Joseph was a Levite. You know what that means? It means that later when Paul and Barnabas, Joseph, go out together in ministry to take the gospel to the Gentiles, it's a Levite and a Pharisee leading the charge. That is the work of God. Amen? That's, that's what they were there to do all along. That's why they had the positions they had, and they were the ones who followed through with it, pointing people to Jesus. Well, listen, this is, this is an instance where we're shown the love that they had for each other and the unity in which they walked as they worshipped together, as they did life together, as they served in ministry together, sharing the gospel with their community. Sounds fantastic, doesn't it? Sounds like something we'd want to be a part of, doesn't it? Mike read for us earlier Psalm 133. That is a psalm of ascents. That means that that's one of the songs they would sing on their way up into the city for worship, to prepare their hearts for worship. And that psalm tells us that the place where God makes His presence known, the place where God shows His power and works, is the place where His people are gathered together in unity. And I wonder how many times down through the centuries ever since, God's people have gathered together and said, Lord, why do you not make your presence known in this place? Why do we not see your power at work? I wonder how many times God is just shaking his head and saying, you guys aren't even together. Where's your heart for each other? Where my people walk in unity, that's where I make my presence and power known. Jesus said in John chapter 13, here's my new command to you. You're to love each other, how? As I have loved you, so you're to love one another. This is how everybody will know that you're my disciples. Not that you can recite the books of the Bible in order backwards. Not that you can, you, you can tell me a, a history behind one of the books of the Bible and what the setting was. How you love one another. 
will show that you are my disciples, Jesus said. That's, that is so key. So these, fam- these followers of Jesus were gathered together, thousands of them, with one heart and one soul, walking together in, in unity. This does not mean uniformity. You get two people in the room, and you're not going to have uniformity. <laughs> they didn't all have the same hairstyle, or background, or native tongue, or favorite food, or favorite song. But what they had was unity because their identity was in Jesus Christ. And they had unity of purpose and, and processes. They worked together to love one another and bring the good news of the kingdom to other people. Amen? Amen? That's unity. It's not uniformity that we all dress the same and look identical. Aren't you glad you don't all have to walk around looking like me? Yeah, yeah see? It's, it's deeper than that. It's deeper than that. So listen, this church worked together with one soul and one heart. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's people walk in unity. And this This sounds like, as the end of of Acts chapter 4 is read here, it sounds like some serious ministry momentum was going on, don't you think? Things were happening, things were building, people were hearing about it, more were coming. All kinds of things were happening. The church was on a roll. Exciting days. This is the kind of thing we want to be a part of. Everything was going fantastic. And then you get to Acts chapter 5, verse 1, and what's the first word? But. Oh. You see, there's, there's more to being a people of God. There's more to being a church family even than just unity. There needs also to be purity. And as you read your Bible from beginning to end, God is deeply concerned about the purity and the unity of his people cover to cover, the purity and the unity of his people. Why are these two things so important? Well, it's because his name is at stake, his glory's at stake, in how his people live with each other and how his people live, period. Our unity and our purity reflect the God we claim to serve and whose name we claim to stand and walk. So he takes this seriously. Our, our corporate good, our common good within the body is at stake, and whether we're walking in purity and in unity. Gospel integrity is at stake in how we live in unity and purity. How can we go out into the streets of Harrow and tell people the gospel will change you if the gospel hasn't changed us? And so these things are vital, vital. So pick up in Acts chapter 5 and let's see what happened as this turn happened and the momentum of the church came to a screeching halt here. But a man named Ananias, with his wife Sapphira, sold a piece of property. And with his wife's knowledge, he kept back for himself some of the proceeds and brought only a part of it and laid it at the apostles' feet. But Peter said, Ananias, why has Satan filled your heart to lie to the Holy Spirit and to keep back for yourself part of the proceeds of the land? While it remained unsold, did it not remain your own? And after it was sold, was it not at your disposal? Why is it that you have contrived this deed in your heart? 
You have not lied to men, but to God. When Ananias heard these words, he fell down and breathed his last. And great fear came upon all who heard of it. The young men rose and wrapped him up and carried him out and buried him. After an interval of about three hours, his wife came in not knowing what had happened. And Peter said to her, Tell me whether you sold the land for so much? And she said, Yes, for so much. But Peter said to her, How is it that you have agreed together to test the Spirit of the Lord? Behold, the feet of those who have buried your husband are at the door, and they will carry you out. Immediately she fell down at his feet and breathed her last. When the young men came in, they found her dead, and they carried her out and buried her beside her husband. Like Achan in Joshua chapter 7, when he stole some of the plunder after the battle of Jericho, were shown again how the progress of the people of God is interrupted by sin. And when I got a problem, we got a problem. When you got a problem, we've got a problem. And so what was the problem? Well, Peter points out to us, the problem was not that they didn't give the full sum that they got for selling their property. That was not the problem. He says, was it not yours? Yes. After you sold it, was that money not yours to do with as you saw fit? Of course. So the problem isn't that they, did, that they didn't give it all. The problem is what? That they said they gave it all. That they decided that they would keep some back and put it in their pocket, which was theirs. But that they would tell everyone that they gave everything. So was this about honoring God? No. Was this really about helping others? No. This was about personal accolades and public prestige. Hey, we sold a piece of land too. Here's all we got. Do we get a cool nickname like Joseph? (laughs) What are you going to say about us now? I mean, that's pretty cool. We did what he did. Don't we get some credit? That's why they sold their land and gave some. To get attention to themselves. Not to bring glory to God and good to others. And so they lied about it. Incredible. What does Peter say? Peter says, you lied to the Holy Spirit. He then says a verse later, you lied to God. And again, this this demonstrates again the deity of the Holy Spirit. And we stop and say, hold it. Didn't they lie to to the apostles? To the the believers? Yes. But all sin, all sin is first sin and foremost against God. When somebody sins against you, are you upset because they sinned against you? Or are you upset because God is offended? When you sin against somebody else, do you hope you can just get away with it because they don't notice or they'll just have to deal with it? Or do you understand that all sin is first and foremost against God? That's what Peter had to say. Sin is against him. Well, Ananias and Sapphira, they conspired together to get personal acclaim amongst the believers and to lie about what they were doing and draw attention to themselves. Well, they did draw attention to themselves, but not the way they intended. Their punishment was immediate. It was immediate, it was complete, and it was incredibly effective, wouldn't you say? It was fatal. They were done. And this judgment of God left no room for interpretation. 
left no room for misunderstanding. It delivered a clear message to God's people. And what is that message? Take God seriously. We must take God seriously. As Paul in Romans chapter 3 outlines the the sinful heart of man and our, our current fallen condition of rebellion against God, he lists in there, in verse 18 of Romans chapter 3, one of the issues is there is no fear of God before their eyes. Psalm 111 tells us this, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. Those who practice it have a good understanding. The fear of the Lord is the beginning of wisdom. And there was no fear of God in the heart, mind, and life of Ananias and Sapphira. They were all about them. And God put an end to it. And the question comes as we read that passage, well, is God making a point or is God setting a pattern? And the answer to that is Don't know. Don't know. Hebrews chapter 12 tells us that those the Lord loves, He disciplines. And when we choose as His people to turn our back on Him and wander off into sin, He will bring corrective steps into our lives to get our attention and to draw us back. 1 Corinthians 11 tells us that, that in the church in Corinth, Paul said, some of you are sick and some have even died because of the way you misuse the communion service. You meet at the Lord's table and you're not worshiping Him and remembering Him. You're making it all about you. You're celebrating you. You're pushing others out of the way and it's all about you. And he said, as a result, some are sick and some are dead and you guys need to sit up and take note. So the point is this. We need to take God seriously. Amen? Well, what do you think happened? Look at verse 11. And great fear came upon the whole church and upon all who heard of these things. Do you think? They all sat up and took note. And I can tell you this, what did not go on was, ha, finally, I knew there was something about that couple. They were always a little off. I'm glad God got them. Clean this place up a bit. That's not what happened. What happened was, whoa, if God's going to deal with their sin that way, I wonder what's going on in my heart. How do I approach worship? How do I function here? I better take things seriously. And so great fear came upon all that were inside the church and outside. People sat up and took notice. The church took note that God is to be taken seriously and so did the outside world around them. Friends, Acts 4 and 5 Tell us that where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's people walk in unity, God's people walk in purity. And then when we do, people see God at work. Look at verse 12. Now many signs and wonders were regularly done among the people by the hands of the apostles. And they were all together in Solomon's portico, that same place, that same porch of the temple where they preached the gospel after uh, healing the, the lame man. The same place where they were initially arrested. They're back there meeting there and preaching there. None of the rest dared join them, but the people held them in high esteem. And more than ever, believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. 
so that they even carried out the sick into the streets and laid them on cots and mats, and that, that as Peter came by, at least his shadow might fall on some of them. The people also gathered from the towns around Jerusalem, bringing the sick and those afflicted with unclean spirits, and they were all healed. Friends, you and I are not the apostles. We have not been given their gifts. But we have still been called to unity. We have still been called to purity. And we have still been entrusted with the very same gospel of the death and resurrection of Jesus the Christ. And we've been given the same message, the same mission to go and make disciples of all people. And what happened as people watched what God did with Ananias and Sapphira in the middle of this incredible ministry momentum going forward, the church on a roll, when this happened, God shut it down for a moment and said, hold it. This is not about you. It's not about your methods. It's not about your generosity. It's not about all these things. This is about me. And as a result, there was an impact inside the church in, in holiness and cleanliness as we walk forward with God together. But there was also an impact outside the church. Look at verse 13. None of the rest dared join them. People took this seriously. They said, whatever you guys have going on, God's involved, and this is serious, and this is scary, and I, I don't know that I should be there. Well, then verse 14 says, On the other hand, even with that, more than ever believers were added to the Lord, multitudes of both men and women. There were some who were scared off because they saw that God was active there. But listen, when it is clear that God is present somewhere and He is at work and He is doing things only He can take credit for and hearts and lives are being changed, there are others that He is going to draw to Himself. And they're going to say, yes, you're taking God seriously and God's at work there? How do, I, how do I become a part of that? I want to worship Him too. This isn't just a game. This is serious. They had the attention and the caution of the world. But countless people were now coming to Christ. As we look at these verses, there are two points that I want to make. One is this. God uses clean tools. God uses clean tools. We've had a number of our people recently have surgery. We have a few more waiting for surgery. Can you imagine pulling up to the parking lot at Metropolitan Hospital in Windsor for surgery and you look across the lot and there on the front lawn is your surgeon and he's on his knees in the garden and he has no work gloves on or anything but he's up to his elbows in dirt and he's working and he's gardening and he's weeding and he's planting and he's 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 landscaping a bit and he's you know wow that okay that's kind of a different hobby for him but okay whatever and then he gets up and covered in dirt and mud he walks over to his car and he crawls underneath and you're still standing out there saying what's he doing and he works on his car and he changes the oil no gloves and it, now he's now he's got oil all over then then he walks in and he, he he runs into the washroom when you follow him down the hall and you go oh good but then he comes out and he clearly hasn't washed cuz he's still all covered and then he brings his gardening tools and his hands all covered in junk all up and down his arms to his elbows and he walks in and he says, okay, I'm ready for surgery, let's go. How many of you would let him do surgery? What would you say? You'd say, you're crazy? Your dirt is going to infect me and I might end up in worse shape than I originally was. Friends, God uses clean 
tools. And it was important that the people were walking together in unity, but it was also important that they were walking together in purity. And in that place, God poured out his spirit and he started bringing people by the thousands to Jesus. God uses clean tools. Here's the second part I want us to take away from the first half of Acts chapter 5. We cannot expect our children to take God seriously. We cannot expect our children to take His Word seriously. We cannot expect our children to take the worship of God seriously. We cannot expect our children to take the holiness of God seriously, the importance of personal discipleship seriously, the study of God's Word and the service with God's people and the meeting together of God's people for worship. We cannot expect them to take it seriously if we don't. Now let's go a step further and go outside the front door. We cannot expect the world around us to take God seriously if we don't. We can't expect the world around us to take the gospel seriously if we don't. We can't expect the world around us to take the word of God seriously if we don't. We can't expect the world around us to take the people of God seriously if we don't. It's just logic, isn't it? And it's demonstrated here. The impact was inside the church and outside. When there's no games, but this is all about God. It's all about Him. People notice. You know, one thing that we've lost in our culture and our society lately is a sense of awe. We just don't have it. Fifty years ago, fifty years ago, two men landed on the moon. And people virtually all over the world stopped what they were doing. They huddled in living rooms. They gathered in Times Square. They stood outside stores that showed TVs, that sold TVs. And they all stopped by the hundreds of millions to gather and watch two men land on the moon. Right now, there's people living on the space station. And we go, oh, whatever. Let's not get Star Trek or something. Uh, Tell me when the technology improves. Right now, there are people sitting on airplanes that are flying in great comfort, hundreds of kilometers an hour, 30,000 feet in the air, and in just a couple hours, they'll get halfway around the world. And some of them are whining because they don't like the food or they can't get clear Wi-Fi. We have lost our sense of awe. How does that creep into the life of the believer and the life of the church? Have we done the same thing with God? Yeah, we know we pray and we get together and we sing and we read and hear a message, whatever, and then we go. Have we assumed the presence and power of God to the point where we wouldn't even know if he removed it? To the point where we say, well, do something truly spectacular and then you'll get my attention again. Or are we people who truly know and understand who God is? What does Isaiah do when he's ushered into the throne room of God? 
Does he say, oh good, finally, I've got some personal time here. I've got a list of questions I want you to explain to me about what's been going on in the world and in my life. He falls on his face. He says, what am I doing in the presence of God? When we go through Scripture and we see the few individuals that are given a glimpse of who God is, what do they do? They don't shrug and just yawn and wander off. They're on their faces going, this is God. We, as the people of God in Harrow and Essex County, must stand in awe of the one who spoke this world into existence. And then after we rebelled and earned our condemnation, he chose to rescue us out of mercy and grace and love by sacrificing his son for us. Wow. We can never get over that. We can never get over that. And he is still the one before whom all people of all time will one day stand. Never, never lose your awe of God. Well, friends, this sounds like an amazing period in history, doesn't it? Sounds like some fantastic ministry. It's the kind of thing we want. We say, God, we want your Holy Spirit here to work in us. We want your Spirit to work among us. We want your spirit to work through us. We want to see your presence and your power here. We want to walk in unity and in purity and and in declaring the gospel boldly. We want to see an impact for the gospel and the glory of God and the good of each other as we live and serve together, don't we? We pour our hearts out to God and say, this is what we want. But I just have one more thing to say, and that is this. Where the spirit of the Lord is, people oppose God at work. Look at verse 17. But the high priest rose up, and all who were with him, that is the party of the Sadducees, remember them who hate the message of the resurrection? And filled with jealousy, they arrested the apostles and put them in the public prison. And from here on out, you are going to see intensifying, growing persecution of the followers of Jesus. Even as the impact grows, so does the reaction and the opposition. Jesus said in John 15, at the Last Supper, just before his arrest, he told his disciples, watch how they treat me, that's how they're going to treat you. Be ready. From prison, near the end of his life, Paul wrote to Timothy and said, everyone who wants to live a godly life in Christ Jesus is going to face persecution. That can be disappointing news, can't it? But listen to this. Matthew 16, verse 18 tells us this. Jesus told his disciples, I will build my church and the gates of hell can't stand against it. And he has built his church. And he is building his church. And he will build his church. Amen? And he will do it all through the proclamation of His Word, through the power of the Spirit, and amazingly enough, through us, as He has called us to Himself, rescued us, made us His children and also His ambassadors. What an amazing thing. The question is, 
Is that what's going on here? I have four questions I'm asking myself today and I invite you to join me. Is the Holy Spirit at work in me and in us? Is there evidence of his presence and power at work in me and in us? Is the Holy Spirit at work among us as we serve him together? Am I, are we surrendered to and completely open to and depending on his work, his way? And finally, do we truly see and honor God for who he is? Or have we gotten to the place where we just kind of shrug and yawn and say, well, that was church. See you next week. Or do we see God and stand in awe and fear of him who spoke this place into existence and is completely right and completely just in condemning us all but chose to reach out and rescue us? Are we amazed? Where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's people walk in unity. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's people walk in purity. Where the Spirit of the Lord is, God's God, people see God at work. But be ready. Not everyone will be impressed. And where the Spirit of the Lord is, people will also oppose God at work. But that hasn't stopped him yet. And it's not going to stop him now. Amen? Let's sing.